This episode of Asians Represent is brought to you by our amazing supporters at patreon.com slash aznsrepresent and the OneShot Podcast Network. Join our Discord community by heading to aznsrepresent.com. We can share that in the patron chat. We can't share that anywhere else yeah. on, on Discord. Subscribe to Asians Represent. Yeah, but that's it. That, I love oh, Pathfinder. Ahead, oh, sorry. I love Pathfinder. So this ever reprises, like, please let me know. Oh, yeah. No, this, this, my character is fucking awful. He's a puppet with a gun. Okay. He's, I'm, he's, I'm, a, literally, I'm literally he's a, like the most uh, anime. No. So my, <laughs> my character, before we get into it, because my character is literally from Tensha, like the, the character for Pathfinder. <laughs> and he was like, um, like a scientist and he was experimenting in making, uh, a, the perfect immortal body for the emperor and uh, experimenting on himself. And at the pinnacle of his sort of research, he his his soul was literally shunted out of his body into a puppet and his body taken away to the west have you been and watching jojo's bizarre adventure i've never watched jojo's is that from jojo's it's, it's a very it's a thing that happens i mean i mean his his stand is pretty much like drew's character who constantly like is trying to protect him from himself so that my character am- the, so he's basically searching for his body but the more time he spent up away from his his physical body his mind becomes more unhinged and so yeah. right now he's basically just danny devito from it's always sunny in philadelphia but with a gun, blade. With a gun. yeah a, a, gun blade. a gun like final fantasy 8 gun blade like literally that's the thing so okay, my, yeah so <laughs> I, I i love my character but yeah. can't play about asian's <laughs> representative <laughs> no we should, we should talk about not. we should talk about one D and D. We we should well, start let's talk about one D and D. This is this is not the episode where we talk about Pathfinder. Well, actually, no. This is the episode where we talk about Pathfinder because there are some things in Pathfinder that have come up in all of our conversations about this. So, let's dive into one D and I want to start with. Well, I want to start with the the idea of of race, and I, we could sp- honestly spend the entire sort of episode talking about this. But the one D and D playtest material is broken down into a couple of different sections. Uh, very broadly, races, backgrounds, languages, and then like feats and rules all kind of lump into one. Um, they have made some significant changes um, in some aspects of 5e D&D, uh, but Wizards of the Coast, based on their current messaging, this could change. Again, this is all speculation they have said that this will be backwards compatible with 5th edition content. So there are still a lot of similarities between 1D&D, which is supposed to be their... They're, they're ditching additions and they're just having... It's just D&D. Um, and they're going to... I suspect they'll keep just iterating on it. So um, it's not it's, like Sesame Street with the count where it's like, what? What? D&D. <laughs> no, it's ah, just... Now ah, it's just ah. Now it's just there's just a singular D and D sensation, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's just, it's essentially it's another edition of D and D, but they're not calling it an edition to avoid edition um, wars, which is still happening. Like yeah, it's and it will still happen because people will say, oh well, I want to do it five E and I want to do this. Um, it it will always happen, and this is I don't. I'm curious to see what the objective is right here. Um, but one thing that they haven't changed is the use of the term race. Now, there are a couple of key changes in the 5th edition D&D 
uh, sorry, I should say the one D&D races. Um, the first big change is one that I actually really like, is that they've actually removed the ability score bonuses from them entirely. They've moved them over to backgrounds, and we'll talk about that later. But um, they've removed a lot of the that particular mechanical component of the races that were in 5e. Um, each of the races obviously has a creature type, which is supposed to be humanoid. Um, they actually have some variations in size now, which I think is is cool. Um, speed, lifespan, and then they have like special traits and special abilities for each one. Um, what they've also included here um, are, I guess, a hard-coded set of rules, and it's not my place to talk about it, but two of you are, are great for this, um, and you've talked about this before on the podcast, is they've put hard-coded rules on how to do uh, mixed-race characters. Now, I see two main discussion topics within the one D&D races section. Uh, one is, you know, the uh, the removal of the ability scores. Um, maybe three things. One is the removal of the ability score bonuses. Two is the use of the term race, the continued use of the term race. And three is obviously the rules and the wording behind mixed race characters and making mixed race characters. Now, I think the easy one to kind of cross off of our list is obviously ability score increases. Like my initial reaction was, oh, this is great. I was happy with that. I don't, I don't know about you folks. In general, I think the whole uh, tying ability scores with backgrounds is fine. It's, uh, it's been mm-hmm. talked about a lot in the D&D community, and I think it's pretty much giving people what they've been calling for for a long time. I think how they handle the build your own background section uh, and the template backgrounds that they provided is, is something we can talk about later on in this chat. But generally, I do like how ability scores are no longer necessarily tied to uh, race, which is, you, you know, you had no choice in normal 5e but to deal with that unless you were playing with Tasha's rules which have sort of uh, yep. kind of become the norm in D&D now. Kind of an example of uh, kind of a mid-edition update that was perhaps foreshadowing what we see now. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and they mentioned the Tasha's rules actually in this document. Um, so in Tasha's, for those of you who don't have the book, um, it says, if you'd like your character to follow their own path, you may ignore your ability score increase rate and assign ability score increases tailored to your character. Um for me, honestly, I would have just loved that for one D&D. That's the rule. That's what you do. Um, but what about you, uh, Michelle? What are your thoughts I mean, on this? I I agree. I think it's a, I think there are some, it's a, it makes sense. It makes sense because um, there is unfortunately a very long um, history of, you know, making certain assumptions about people uh that in real life because uh they are of a certain background of a certain ancestry i am happy to see that um ancestry is a word that's being incorporated into this edition but um i think just makes sense that if you're going to have in some ways a i feel like in in a way you're building your resume with this particular um kind of structure uh, and this is essentially choosing a background, but basically becomes um, a way to sort of explain the skills in your resume. Um, there are certain things in particular about uh, that we can talk about as we get uh, start diving in a little bit deeper into backgrounds uh, that I think are definitely like question mark. Is that really 
the correct move here, yeah. uh, particularly when it comes to languages. Uh, but that being said, I, I do appreciate the fact that, for example, like Acolyte plus two wisdom plus one intelligence, that makes sense. Um, of course, I, I think this is a really great start. I would love to see that fleshed out a little bit. I completely agree. Yeah. What about you, Drew? Uh, do you agree? Is there anything you would add? Um, I, you know, I think that having ability scores tied, you know, certain ones tied to certain professions or certain backgrounds is while not necessarily as damaging as, atta- as, as attaching it to a concept of a race or species still can add this element of like, well, all people, this job or this profession or this background, because not all of them are like your job, you know, mm-hmm. uh, some of them are just the way you were raised, which is also kind of confusing uh, yeah. because like some of not all of them are. Yeah. Yeah. Not all of them are jobs, but like it, it's still making presumptions on what uh, those people are like. We're, but, you know, when we look at various things like. Let's take a gladiator, for instance. You know, in uh, ancient Rome, there were a number of different gladiators that were almost like uh, classes. You had a specific kind of uh, style that you fought in, and not all of them relied on having uh, charisma and strength as much as some others did. So while that's a really tame version of of that issue, um, I just think having a free-floating, you get a plus two or and a plus one, do whatever you want, uh, I feel like is the best like like answer to the issue. I think this is better, but it's not. I'd like to see them just kind of push it to the end end goal, in my opinion. Well, they, they, yeah. kind, of, they kind of do that with the build your background thing, which I think yeah. is what they're trying to push as the um, kind of the core uh, of backgrounds. I think the templates provided, which is, I mean, it's not exactly clear in the playtest document, but the templates provided are just supposed to be uh, potential options for you to base, you know, your customizable mm-hmm. background on. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, I think they do seem to be moving away completely from the idea that, oh, you know, you're a dwarf, you get like a, a bonus to your constitution, or, you know, you're an orc, and you get a minus to your intelligence, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. think, I, I don't think we'll ever see that again. Yeah. Well, they didn't um, have penalties in, in 5e. They're like, they did, they they did, did for Orc. They did, they oh, they did, did for Orc. The, you're right. Yeah. You're right. That, 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 that was what kicked this whole thing off in 2020. Uh, Volo's yeah, Guide to right. Monsters, the Orc. And I mean, Orcs are finally a I core. banished that from my memory. Or, orcs are finally <laughs> going to be a core race in the player's handbook. And I like that. I think it's about time. Although, I mean, it remains. Although the execution. The execution. Yeah, the execution possibly has some things uh, attached to it that we might want to talk about. I mean, yeah, while we're sure. on it, why don't we talk about that? Because I, in our chat, you know, when we were, you know, sort of organizing this, you mentioned that you, the first thing you said, you were like, whoa, orcs are like a, a core race now in this. Um, for me, yeah. I think that w- I, I thought it was cool that they, they did that. But in execution, there is just there's stuff that I don't like because they still lean in on that. Like, we're just here to fight shit. Yeah, they. I mean, they have an ability called Adrenaline Rush. They have powerful build. It's still leaning on the idea that orcs in general are big and bulky, and the lore that they have here still connects them with, uh, you know, their one-eyed god. So they, they have a warrior lineage. And I don't think, I don't think we're ever going to completely get away from that as long as D and D sticks with its pre-existing lore and encourages um, the idea of differentiating races by these, um, the, these sort of abilities that you can't really pick and choose from. 
you know, if you play an orc, according to these playtest rules, you're going to have the adrenaline rush. You can't possibly swap it for something else. And, or you're going to have relentless endurance. Um, and I think, yeah, like we, we can, we can definitely, um, we can definitely poke holes in that and say that, well, you know, you shouldn't presume to say that all orcs necessarily are going to have a powerful build or are going to be able to take the dash action as a bonus action. But I think it's sort of a flaw in the fact that, you know, D&D presents these races and they present, they present them with these positives and these, these negatives in some way that are now, you know, removed from the ability score increases, but are now kind of hard coded in some of the abilities that you have to choose from when you pick that mm-hmm. particular race. And that is something that we have discussed on Karator as well. Just the fact that there is, um, and I mean, this was discussed, uh, this was kind of brought up and during uh, the big Watsi announcement that happened, I think about a week ago or so. Um, the fact that there is a, this, this very large amount of lore uh, with Dragon, the Dragonlance novels, as well as other um, sources that were written in a different time. And the, as they, as one D&D emerges, it's going to be interesting to see how they decide to incorporate that information given, I guess, all the people who are so heavily invested uh, within that setting. And so, yeah, I I do agree. I feel like I there's just it just kind of makes me um uncomfortable <laughs> to have less of a and I know that you could, for example, create this base like t- ch- you can choose like an orc build where you can then um add on, you know, various feats and backgrounds in order to create like a very non-stereotypical orc but the fact that there is still like that the default. stereotype there yeah is yeah. not great yeah so if it's, you're if you're a first time if you're a first time player and this is the the addition that you pick up that's what you're going to see right mm-hmm. um yeah and and i think the the safety goes i think at the root of that all is is how they are communicating these design choices their wording Right. Um, there are aspects of this that I think are just in general a little a little odd um, because they're binding themselves to these game mechanics. One thing that and I think this is just me nitpicking. This is the most nitpicky I got when I was looking at it. And they were saying when two dragonborns whose scales are different colors oh, produce a child, yes. their offspring scales match those of one I, parent or the other. And I was like, what? That's not, that's not how well, that's I think, really. I think the, the entire and way. I get, is- and I get why, because they're like, oh, well, the scales are tied to the, you know, the damage type. And that's, that's where that, the mechanics are kind of holding them back. But for me, it's like, I would just say that I've got these, like this, like mixed color or my scales all are different colors or I have patterns on my scales or, or whatnot. Um, it, it breaks, I mean, it definitely breaks it. The, like the, uh, diagenic sort of understanding within this new edition that if you are of a mixed heritage even within dragonborn uh, if you're a, if you're a mixed heritage within like any other um combination you have traits of both but if you're a dragonborn it's like no, an no, amethyst no. dragonborn with a sapphire dragonborn you're not gonna have like i don't know a random emerald like that's just a. Uh, I don't know. I I feel really weird about that. I also noted that in my. In okay, my I wasn't the only one. And I, just, I mean, that, that seems weird. And that takes us to the most contentious like part of this, and it's the children of different humanoid kinds. First of all, it's a very mm. wordy subsection. Um, like Drew and Jeremy, I think you have you have a, a different perspective here than I do. 
I don't um, like it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Let's I don't move like on. It. This is. I mean, this is. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, so, but not. They didn't intentionally try to be bad, but to me, it comes across as very like fetishizing mixed white race. person effort. Yeah, it's like, it's, sure. Yeah. It's very. Yeah. I don't want to say this, but it feels very like white liberal. Like I voted for Obama. Like look at look at how we're presenting the beautiful mm-hmm. unions between different humanoids. It's it, it comes like previously in D and D, you often had you know orcs being stereotyped or half orcs and half elves being. Uh, stereotyped, and now I think you have them fetishized in a way uh, with this particular with, with the with, with the copy that they've chosen to present here. But yeah, I'll let Drew go first. Yeah, I, I think it's an overcompensation for uh, criticisms, perhaps both internally within Watsi as well as externally from people like uh, many of us, uh, where it's you know, you know, the various racist depictions of different D and D. Uh, peoples and whatnot is real bad and uh it's very negatively racist not that there's a real positive racist but i'll get to that in a second like you know and it's the overcompensation of like well we want to make sure that it's not presented as a bad thing you know therefore we shall present it as a really too good of a thing you know it's it's to to cover the bases and instead of hitting the the mark (laughs) yeah instead of hitting the mark they just kind of blew past it into uh, I guess, toxically positive racism, you know, where instead of being, you know, uh, you're a, you're a, a half blood character that, you know, is not accepted by either uh, of your parents or your societies and you, you have no place in the world. And now instead, you know, you have the other side of that coin, which is you are the one that will unite everyone. <laughs> you know, you are, you are emboldened with, with, you are by the fate and by the gods to to be yeah, to be the arbiter and to to bring all these divided peoples together like you are some chosen one because you were you have to be born to parents of different uh peoples yeah because your and existence is struggle according I mean, to this yeah i don't think this stuff will survive the playtest i i definitely think it's going to be too. changed because even not. <laughs> a lot of people have picked up on this but i i think you know there is a very real world uh sort of ongoing problem with how mixed race people are often fetishized in media where they're like, Oh, you know, build your own ideal race where it's like, you have, you know, the eyes of like an Asian person. It's a eugenics. It's mechanized eugenics even more than, than what was present in five E before, but, but simply because of the language they've used mix and match visual characteristics, you know, uh, choose, you know, the, the wondrous parents that have created this magical workings of the multiverse union. I mean, you don't need all that. Just say that, you know, you can have parents from different races and you might, you know, you might look like this or you might look like this, but that doesn't necessarily define your path in life. It's exactly how I feel for, for me. It was like, when I first read it, I, I was like, Oh, there's some promising stuff here. They're actually having a conversation. And then when I tweeted that, every, people started like DMing me being like, I'm disappointed in you, Daniel. And I'm like, I said it's promising, not that it's good. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I like some things. There are some things that I like. And I like that the game rules are now encouraging people to have conversations and control over their parentage. I think that is good. The execution of it is bad, right? I mean, I, I mean, think we, it, needs a, it needs a rewording. Basically. It needs a, a rewording lot, for a yeah, lot of this. I, yeah, a lot of I this can be fixed. Wrote, with I actually wrote like a ton of like suggestions about like <laughs> Let's hear it. how 
I mean, basically just like ancestors. I mean, we've we've seen this before with the wonderful like ancestry five e like um supplement that came out and is so great. And I am an idiot and forgot to mention, forgot to research who wrote it because it's really really fantastic. But speaking of things like again, um, it really does speak to like as Jeremy is saying, someone who saw Hamilton three times and really loves rapping it. it <laughs> Um, is, yeah, Arcanist, I'm just, I'm Arcanist Press, thinking, Ancestry and Culture. Arcanist thank press. you, thank you. I, I'm specifically thinking of oh, that. Oh, I worked on that. Of- sorry. I wasn't even. <laughs> Daniel. Daniel. I'm sorry. Daniel. You had Daniel. me at Hamilton, and I was just like. Oh, sorry. Back to Hamilton. I was specifically thinking of that scene in, Knife, in Knives Out, uh, the very, very beginning, if anyone has seen it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, I've seen Hamilton like three times. I'm not racist. And it's like. Dude, that's the new. That's the new. Oh, I I have a black friend. That's the new one. It's a new. I have a black. I've seen Hamilton. Uh, much <laughs> yeah. much more. I like um, Chinese food. I can't possibly be racist. Use chopsticks. I mean, um, yeah. things... I mean, I think so I, I think this. Uh, oh, oh, sorry. Go well, go ahead, oh, Michelle. Sorry. Yeah, yeah no. I was yeah. just thinking like things I suggested were like mixed heritage. Why not lean into ancestry? You know, why not lean into heritage and ancestry, which are two different things that I think could be a big, big thing that could save this entire section. Right. And especially the uh, just taking out these overly dramatic um, adjectives like fantastical and like we said, wondrous Uh, and and just like and portraying this almost. Oh gosh, like make it feel grounded. Romeo and yeah, I was about to say it, it feels this very romanticized understanding. Very, I, I'm almost thinking of like a very. It's because it sounds almost Shakespearean, right? The way Star-crossed they describe. Lovers. Yeah, it's like star-crossed lovers. Yeah. Oh, yes. The orc is Romeo, the elf is Juliet. I mean. It- I mean, I mean we did but, get that, but that like, sort of fantastical writing it's like it that that over embellishment is seen throughout the entire document like for me i messaged you folks because this part like just like threw me off because in the elf section they're like oh elves have the mystical ability to take on characteristics of the environment which they bonded i mean there's that but that's then, that's, that's just there's that's that, just the natural it, world yeah that's just how that's just how the world works that's how evolution like, works like i've lived in boston for like a year and yes i have adapted to living here by going to rei and getting a coat but like, <laughs> are you adapting to the sea air i'm adapting i'm adapting to the boston sea air i'm adapting to that the scent of Wahlburger. um Ugh, every time i walk outside fuck Mark yeah no kidding. um <laughs> fuck that guy but but it, it, it even though the language is so florid it hits so weirdly here specifically in what they would call race. And I think there's also just a quest of a conversation to be had about like, is race really the correct word we should be using? Um, I understand that there is, you know, a, a fine line to be walked between wanting to be accurate, but also wanting to make sure that, um, for lack of a better word, the, the people you're creating are humanized um, and, and have like an actual grounding in real world empathy and things like that. And I think that's, yeah. So, so it's just like, there's just a lot here that I feel needs to be pondered over in, in a lot of ways, but particularly uh, towards ideas of like how we see ourselves and how we see like 
character creation in this particular way as a, as a reflection of ourselves. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, when I put out that tweet, I was actually really surprised at some of the responses to that tweet. So I put out uh, a tweet basically saying, okay, well, what are we going to do if we don't use race, right? I said, here, here are like my suggestions. This is, this is what I was like pondering, right? I said, well, Pathfinder 2nd Edition uses Ancestry, which I really like. I really like that. Um, and, but what and heritage. About, Ancestry and heritage, heritage right? Yeah, and what about lineage, heritage? They use the word origin here. And for me, like, obviously, lineage is actually already used um, in D&D. So I, I get why they would keep lineage as like your sub-race, right? But we don't need race. And I, I get why they did it, because they want that sort of terminology continuity between 5e and 1D&D. &D. I get it. But I think everyone knows what you mean. I mean, they um, say, they say, Jeremy Crawford says- They say it, ancestry. Yeah, race is your ancestry. So I, I would encourage them to drop the term because, I mean, ancestry is, is sort of being pushed as the new term to use. I mean, even Taldore yeah. Reborn, which is in 5e, that book started using ancestry. Ancestry. And this, this is kind of related to, uh, you know, a bigger idea I have, which is, I think the effort to make 1D&D backwards compatible is- possibly going to be limiting in some ways like this. Like the only reason they're sticking with race as a term is to maintain continuity. Yeah. It's the 2014 edition of the game. But the final version of the product is going to be quite different from that 2014 version. And maybe the adventures are going to be semi-backwards compatible if you fix a couple things. But at the same time, I mean, we have different ways of establishing a character already with the Tasha's rules. I feel like now is a perfect time to just say, okay, we're not going to call it race anymore. Just call it ancestry. That's quickly becoming, you know, the new, uh, the new language. And, you know, it, it has its own issues, but it's better than race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I like ancestry. They use the word here. The one thing that I really dislike, and I get a visceral reaction when people bring it, is like species. I really uh, dislike it. Is a very specific. It's it's word. also so loaded. If you're talking about species like a scientific term, that it, it means a lot of what we're doing here is impossible. Yeah, no, it it has a t a, a time and a place, and that's within. This is not a it textbook that is devoted <laughs> to say the study of frogs. <laughs> like, oh well, yeah, if you're is, talking about has, the biological concept of species. That does not work in D anD. d No, 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 it doesn't. One is a sci It's a very real world scientific term that does not have a place here. Like that is my argument in terms of species, because like that, it, it's just it doesn't belong here. It has a very not only that. Again, we get to the point we get to like the eugenics conversation, exactly. right? So there's really no call for um, species is the opinion. poorest is one of the poorest choices you can make to replace race ancestry. Yeah. I think that's a great one. Uh, I would also be fine with, you know, origin, right? Um, we're creating people. Yeah. Like, and this was actually a conversation people. that we had yeah. when working on motherlands. It was like, what terms are we going to use? And what if you were raised? Cause I don't know the lore of motherlands. And that's actually, that was my like selling, like when Tanya asked like, I would work on this. And I was like, I don't know about Motherlands. I was like, I don't, you don't need to. And I was like, cool. That's my advantage, I guess. I don't know anything. I'm unbiased. <laughs> um, but I was like, so like, what if you were like a, like a human like me, but raised by robot people? What if I wanted to have their culture, right? Because we had to talk about culture. Culture is a term that we use in Motherlands. And it was like, yeah, you know, if I was raised by robo people, maybe I would wear pieces of armor on my body. And that's how I would, that's how the culture might manifest in my character. 
Um, but we don't have to have these these bonuses, these numbers, right? It's the same thing with D&D. Uh, I like the fact that you could say, use ancestry and have elements of, you know, in your narrative of you know, being raised amongst uh, another group of humanoids, right? What if I was, you know, what if I was a, uh, a halfling raised by, let's go in terms of extremes, raised by orcs, right? W would, would that mean that I haven't trained my body to have, you know, that, you know, the abilities that they have, would I have that adrenaline rush? Would I have that relentless endurance because I've trained my body? And I mean, this whole talk about backgrounds and feats as well, because some of these things I think should honestly be feats. Um, but I think in the, you know, for the sake of time, what we've kind of settled on is that they've kept race purely for backwards compatibility. And really the better term should be ancestry plus lineage um, in use there. Another thing that they have here is this, they have positive intent with what they're trying to do, particularly with having mixed race characters, like you've said, Drew and Jeremy. The, the intent is there. You could see that they're trying, but the execution is so goddamn poor. And mm -hmm. what they really need to do is have a lot of these ancestry, race, we'll use race because that's what they use in this document, have a lot of the information that they're saying or a lot of the information that they're presenting about race have grounded descriptions rather than fantastical embellishments, with, which actually tend to hurt this more. Would you agree? Would you folks agree? I think that's kind of mm -hmm. like our yeah. summary of this section. Yeah, because as I've said already, we're talking about people. Yeah. Making and, and I know people. they're trying to stress the multiverse in this upcoming iteration of D&D. I'm not calling it an addition. They're definitely stressing the multiverse. There's a bunch of talk of sigil in here, like all humans come from sigil. There's a lot of interesting things here that might point to the fact that they are de-emphasizing the Forgotten Realms and want to stress some sort of hub world setting, probably Planescape or something of that nature that is going to kind of incorporate, you know, your homebrew worlds, critical roles worlds, like stuff like that. So I, I personally think... would have just loved it if they didn't have that setting stuff in these descriptions. Yeah, for, for I, I get I get the I get the uh, impression that a lot of this mystical multiverse mentioning is probably because that's the direction D&D is going over the next year, over the next two years. So hopefully yeah. once the time this comes out, that'll get, you know, uh, you know, they won't have to push that as much. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So let's think about, let's think about, you know, let's move on from this race section because I think we can do a whole episode on it. And if you folks are really interested in learning more and hearing more from Drew and Jeremy, you could check out episodes 50 and 43 of the Asians Represent podcast, which were both multi-hour uh, episodes about mixed race representation and, you know, D&D and fantasy and how to make mixed race characters. Uh, one thing I did notice, and it's something that I learned from, from those panels is that sort of, um, I know Legal Kimchi brought this up, it was that tragic mulatto trope. And they actually built that kind of in here because in the tiefling section, before we move on to backgrounds, because it's literally the last thing you read before backgrounds, is they say, thanks to the victories and sacrifice of these legends, the, these tieflings in the past, tieflings are now accepted because their ancestors suffered for them. Uh, and people recognize them as, oh, you're not a bad person. Yeah, the tieflings it's lore needs some... The tiefling lore needs to be fixed. And this is why I think yeah. divorcing it from the lore is the right thing to do. Because you could make these really clear, really concise, and give the freedom to the players. Um, and so you yeah. see that with games like um, 
think of a game as like Fellowship. It's not D&D, but in Fellowship, you each player is the representative of their people. And so you make the decisions about your people, which I think is cool. Uh, I realize that doesn't work fully in practice with D&D, but I like it as a concept. Now, that said, a huge change made to one D&D were the backgrounds. Previously in 5e D&D, backgrounds were kind of like pretty skippable. A lot of people skipped them. Um, some of them have some really good things, and you'd pick it for that reason. Um, I mean, like uh, like Acolyte in, in 5e has a, a pretty solid feature there. Um, or like uh, Urchin had like city secrets, and you can like find your way around a city really well. Um, but other than a couple of those little things, backgrounds were pretty forgettable in 5e. But now what they've done with backgrounds is they've really expanded them. They've not only provided, like you've mentioned, Jeremy, rules for building your own background, but they've moved ability scores to them. Um, and uh, they've really fleshed them out a lot more uh, because you also get a feat with your background as well. Uh, and feats are another conversation that we'll have uh, you know, in this episode. But thoughts on backgrounds. Mine were extremely mixed. I... <laughs> really liked some things and I really hated a lot more things. Yeah. I like the, um, um, I, I, I basically like how they made backgrounds crunchier. Like I, I like, I like the crunchiness of backgrounds and I like the, the addition of feats to backgrounds. I like the new addition of level one feats. Um, a, a lot of this is kind of, I mean, you can draw a lot of comparisons with Pathfinder. Like this is basically what Pathfinder does. And I think or the second edition Pathfinder, I think there is probably, you know, th there might've been some looking at that system and kind of some figuring out of how to bring backgrounds a bit more to the forefront. Cause a lot of 5e backgrounds are really just, you get proficiencies in two skills um, or you get, you get, you know, proficiency with like a, a gaming set. Um, yeah. And yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, I think back to a funny conversation we had in our Pathfinder game, Daniel, where you were like, we were, we were, we were talking about how a lot of high level uh, D and D abilities just kind of just give you advantage. And you were like, I don't want advantage. I want a plus 20 to plus 20. To yeah, hit. Just give, give me, yeah, here, this and, is the, for me, the biggest example of that is the difference between true strike across yeah. editions of D and D. And I don't think we'll ever see D and D dealing with such high modifiers again, but I like the idea of how with backgrounds, they're kind of implementing it a little bit more crunch to them. Uh, I actually think this version of D and D hurts high modifiers. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. It really hurts high level play. Yeah, it does. Um, but uh, th that aside, and I'm sure everybody else is going to bring bring this up as well, the sort of um, build your own background or follow the templates we have here where, you know, Gladiator makes you speak Orc and like, I think what Farmer makes you speak Halfling. Um, Halfling. The, exa the examples need <laughs> the examples to be, are so bad. Yeah, the examples need to be revised a little bit as well. And I also fear that making build your own background the default might put a little bit more burden on the DM who's trying to teach a bunch of new players how to play the game. Because in my opinion, 5e is a very, it puts a lot of burden on the dungeon master in general to make things up or to kind of create subsystems when the actual rule sets don't really provide you with that sort of thing. And so I just worry that that might happen a little bit here. Uh, it remains to be seen whether that that's what happens though. That's what happens when you go rules light for a game that has this, yeah, uh, inherent power dynamic. Yeah. Like whether or not you want yeah. to frame that, the GM as that, an equal, the that, GM that, that's, a power. That, that's a bigger that's issue. That's a bigger issue. That's a bigger issue. I personally, I would just love. I just like the way Tasha's does the ability scores. Just like, hey, just pick them. But for for this one, the one thing there's a 
I like obviously the skill proficiencies, the tool proficiencies is great. The ability scores is is better here. So I'll say I, that's a bonus to the backgrounds part. I fucking hate the language part. I hate it so much. And just whoever, and I don't want to hate on like on the folks at Watsi who worked on this, but the backgrounds part, it, it feels like this is where the most oversight existed, like happened. Like, yeah, they made the mistake with the racist section, but this part is just bad in my opinion like it's cool that you get a feat it's cool that there's a template for how much equipment you get and that you get your ability scores but it doesn't make sense to me that when we were talking joking about this earlier that oh, i'm a sailor i did one tour at the sea now i can speak to all elementals it doesn't make yeah, any yeah. sense or like oh yes yeah. i'm a farmer i'm a potato farmer and for the the soul and because of that i speak halfling like that just means all farmers speak halfling because in their lore they said halflings love farming. I mean, a way, a way to what fix hell? this would have been to emphasize that these are just examples, and for, instead of just saying yes. sailor, be like sailor in the elemental plains or something like that. Like zero well, them yeah, in. Just like suggestions, like, or suggestions, or like the, three. How about this like, one? It's just laborer. What laborer? But then all the text is about masonry. Just call it a mason. That's your sample. It's a mason. It's not a laborer. I, yeah, I also, I mean, this is carried over, obviously, from previous editions, but, um, and I think we may have mentioned it before, but I, I really want, I really wish they would decide whether a background is a former profession or just the way you grew up. Like, I, yeah. I, I understand the, that the, this They have is, to differentiate class and background much clearer. Yeah, they, they need to do that because this is, like, for example, like we talked about earlier, Urchin, yes, but urchin is not a profession. I'm a professional I mean, urchin. What are you talking I'm a about? Urchin. I mean, I, mean, I understand. I know that. The, I know that the Charles Dickens stands are going to come hardcore after me for this. But I'm just saying. We, we just pissed urchin. off a whole new category. Of Oliver people. Twist fanboys coming uh, after us. Yeah. Yeah, all, all the Oliver yeah. Twist fan cams on on Twitter. All, all of the dot, all of the Arful Dodger fans are just going to come after us. I'm glad you're in. Right, you're nothing. modding the chat right now, Drew. I'm glad you're here because I'm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get ready to ban some Oliver Twist fans. But yeah, I, I they, there's just it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I, I think also that some of these are just stronger than others um, in terms of what they're trying to flesh out. Like for example, I I really like um, there's like and also some like there's some like I guess not. I don't necessarily like it. For example, uh, I think we talked about the gladiator. And there's like a little bit of world building in here that's just like, wait, where where was this? The the world building for the gladiator thing? is the world is, building for the gladiator is awful. Because it's like, oh yeah, you're a pit fighter and, and you speak orc. So it's like, let's just yeah. reinforce that whole thing. Yeah. Orcish is the language of the pit fighters. Yeah, I think I think too. that background should be renamed um homie of the orc gladiator. <laughs> like that would be a better background. Sure, sure, sure. I mean the thing though is like they really need to um just decide like where where these things should go i I just uh, sorry i had a point and then it like left me as i was considering another thing but um yeah it's it needs to be tied i think a little bit more carefully to region right like that says for example a farmer is going to know halfling or an artisan is going to know gnomish a soldier is going to know goblin goblin because because they're 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 circling this is the part where the lore comes in it's like oh yeah you're a soldier this this is the wars 
This is but the part we're trying to fix the lore ever... is they're trying to they're trying to make goblins, you know, they're trying to reduce the stereotypes about goblins. They but, you study like, the strategies example, of goblinoid generals. Okay, sorry. Uh, but no, for example, sorry. if you're uh, sorry, so for example, if you're like a drow farmer, how the hell would you know halfling? Because you're like, a farmer. How? That's what, that's what this is telling you. But you're, but you're like in the underdark. Oh, that's the thing, because because they were basically the, what they what I I think they took. They had a bunch of post-it notes on the wall, and they were like, okay, language. Where are we gonna put this? Let's put it under background, right? And they here's the thing: if we remove language from background, okay, that's one less thing that makes background useful. We remove ability scores from backgrounds. That's another thing that makes backgrounds even more forgettable, right? And all you're really left with is something interesting, and that's the feet. Right, and the background gives you that free feat. Uh, you know, when you make your character, I, I think that you're right. I think there needs to be a reevaluation of where the background actually fits in a character's identity, both mechanically and narratively. Right, yeah. because it's, having a language here is just it makes weird. no sense. It's not. And, it's and, not correlating to reality because, like, so for example, like I'm a ceramicist slash artist. Yes, I know. You speak things. gnomish. I don't speak Gnosh, but I don't speak Gnosh, but like it's like in the real world, there are, for example, Italian things like that you would like, um, or or if you're a chef, for example, you would know like the names of a lot of different dishes in Italian or whatnot. But it doesn't mean that I know Italian. It just mm-hmm. means I know like the difference between Mafaldi pasta and Orecchetti. Like my my. <laughs> My first instinct was, "Oh, you spent your summer in Tokyo." Uh, sorry, that was that was like that was the well, that even, was the first thing. Um, even outside of like comparisons to reality, it, if if their goal truly is to create the sense of there being a multiverse, that all these different D and D campaigns, whether they be you know public streamed games or their adventures league or they are at home homebrew worlds and things like that. Um, it's counterintuitive. The more you're, the more specific things you start saying in these suggestions, um, the more they just become reality in people's minds. You start reinforcing and, these stereotypes. Yeah, and it's it, it is one thing like for myself when I read this stuff, I I ignore half of this, <laughs> like you know. But there, for one of me that ignores almost all the flavor text of things, there are hundreds of people who uh you know want that stuff and they want it to make sense and they want to kind of fall in love with those realms but when you read this you're reading like are you reading eberron are you reading you know spelljammer are you wait what are you what are you reading right now all nobles you know? and all in in the entire multiverse have to have to go to draconic kumon basically yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's basically what they said here. Yeah, they, it, just to justify the fact that oh, this is the, this is a noble language. Yeah, right. It's, so it's, it's it's wild. It's it's counterintuitive to reality, but it's also counterintuitive to the goals of Watsi as they seem. Right. It 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 just doesn't make sense, and it does. I think the opposite, you know, uh, of those things because. I am not going to read this and take that as the reality, but many will. And that's just the lore or they have players that have no clue. You know, let's, let's say I'm running a game, brand new homebrew, little like, you know, nation that I'm running stuff in and you have not experienced any of it yet. All you have to go off of is the player's handbook and whatever they say, because I can't cover all these bases (laughs) at the same time 
that's why this is so important to discuss, right? Okay. Because you are setting the foundation for all of the games people are going to play. Like another one for me is like, I think, Michelle, we were talking about this and it was like the fact that, I think this is one of the worst ones, the fact that the urchin, your language is common sign language. Oh, it, Michelle, you're muted. I get. Uh, I'll no, listen. no, no. Oh, I, just, I'm not, I mean, I'm just, I'm yeah, just like, I just common, don't feel like blowing up my mic. Yeah, common sign language. It first of all doesn't make sense. It it plays into those just like terrible stereotypes of the fact that, you know, first of all, you, you, that deaf people can't get jobs, which is an awful stereotype, and it's 100 untrue. But they're feeding into this. It's like, oh yeah, anyone who grew up on the streets, they speak common sign language in addition to common and it's i don't it's just it's also like the i don't know to me i uh, same with common sign language i think i understand what the thought process might have been just make a, uh, in terms make of a thieves doing camp. that like i get camp. this idea of like ah you're a bunch of rascals and the guard's standing there so you just make some rude gestures and that makes sense to your friend I I, th I think that's probably what they're thinking in the same way that they pr are probably thinking that the feet lucky given to someone who is impoverished and down on their luck you know, yep. uh, it is probably trying to evoke some sense of like Aladdin. You know, you have this uh, charming urchin guy that just kind of gets away with things, you know, but Aladdin's Aladdin and not characteristic of every other person in his tax bracket, you know? Like, and it's like every, like, every single urchin's got their gaming set, like they're ready to duel on the streets. Yeah, I, it yeah, just doesn't make I it just doesn't make that. sense. I remember that yeah. chapter in Oliver Twist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it's a classic example of trying to be inclusive by including common sign language as as a prominent part of the play. It's performative but, wokeness. But, yeah, That's but what not that is. but not really thinking about how this would come across. And I think we we can see the same thing in how they presented the mixed race rules. Um, it's uh, obviously this stuff is going to get changed. It, it, this is definitely you know what the play test is for. But I think it's. Uh, I mean. Once again, like you said, Daniel, don't want to um, criticize the people that worked on this, but I definitely feel that these rules could have used a few more eyes. I, like, I don't know if they had the entire WOTC design staff looking at it. Like, I don't, I don't exactly know how many passes it went through, but it definitely, I feel like you could have gotten a couple mixed race people to look at the children of different mm -hmm. humanoid kinds section, and they probably could have told you what Drew and I have been saying. And I have a well, feeling- What they're getting here is yeah. is- free well, yeah, consultation what, from what the public. Get, what, they're what they're getting, getting. is free consultation yeah. from the public. But it would, you know, it 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 would um, make me feel better to know if there are already people at Watsi who could do this. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, for me, it feels disappointing that this is the first thing, even though I understand, again, caveat, this is a playtest, caveat, this is... Um, we're essentially dog fooding it, and I understand that. Um, but these are not difficult things to pick up on. Any, I know there are people inside the building who would have looked at this and just been like, ah, nah. And then it would have freed up so much of our time to talk about more 
insightful, more like deeper ideas and deeper suggestions. I think that would have been um, a little bit more considerate, honestly, but I, I get it. I understand. I, again, we don't know. I mean, we, we have three names uh, at the top of people who say they've worked, who probably have definitely worked on this, but it just, it does feel um, like a really poor first showing, especially considering the the hype that's been built around this, especially given they did a whole um, event. They had a whole freaking event. Uh, there was actually a lot of just magic being like buy all of this, but that's another thing. However, I I just think that in the vein of all the previous releases, especially with Tasha, th this feels a lot of a letdown. I don't know. Then again, maybe again we're just look. Maybe not, we're not judging this correctly. Maybe I'm not judging this correctly. I am comparing a finished product to essentially something that somebody may have typed up at four a.m. with a bunch of other people that typed it at four a.m. Here's the thing, though. There's a lot at stake with this, though, because if people weren't being overly critical, this stuff is going to make it into that final product, and then the conversation we'd be having on this podcast would be completely different, right? Mm. So uh, I think it's good to be overly critical of this because if I was a designer, I would want that. I would want people to tell me, you know, what they think should be improved, right? Now, obviously, you're also right that they also made a very poor first impression of this. Um, I think, again, there's promise, but there is a lot of poor execution. There's promise yeah. here. I, I think that, I think, okay, I think it's a case of like two steps forward, one step back where it's I, I think we are trending towards progress, positive progress. I think we are moving our way, even though it feels. You know, very slow and lumbering to to get there, I think we're making our way forward in a way that is good. But at the same time, as things improve, the things that are not improving are going to feel that much worse. You know, because they start to become glaring when it's something <laughs> when it's something like Caratour, <laughs> you know, okay. that is like an assault on the senses, you know, uh, no individual thing feels that bad because it's all just terrible. You it's know? just a cacophony of, of ridiculous racism. Yeah. Racist yeah. But in this case where it's like, you know, at least to my impressions where I like, you know, I'd say eh, like 70 percent of everything, the 30 percent feels worse because I notice it more, you know, because it's glaring at me from the page. Um, also, not to be a not not too much of an aside. Did you know that the urchin has like the third most gold in the backgrounds? Because you're a thief. Because you're a thief. <laughs> you stole it. Like, yeah, you all... took it. That's what they say. That's that's what they're saying there. With, with your dimples, <sighs> your cheeky little dimples. I just. <sighs> <laughs> I, yeah, we should we should also we should move on for the sake of time. Now I know Michelle and Drew, you two got to drop. Jeremy, I'm good to keep going if we want to finish. Like we we want to wrap up the rules. Yeah, section. I, I can I could I could talk about this stuff all day. So like, <laughs> so I think what we could we could do is feats, right? So in general, I think feats are the least of the least offensive of all the things that they've presented to me here. Um, yes. The thing that the things that I liked about the feats are that there are prerequisites now. Um, I really like that because it means that they can start putting in more feats and more powerful feats and have prerequisites like they did in previous editions of D&D. I really like that. Um, I think the feats are also much better than they were in 5e. Healer is an awesome first level feat. 
it actually makes the healer's kit a little bit more useful, like in a really good way. Um, I and but then there are some that I think are kind of feel homebrew, like a tavern brawler. The tavern brawler is a really weird one if you look at it. I don't. I, I actually like it because it's so weird. Like it's, I don't. So here's the thing. Here's yeah. the thing I don't like about. It. I don't think for for me at least. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Everyone else, but none of these really made me uncomfortable like backgrounds and race oh it. no no not at all. i think they're I just think... so inconsistently designed i i think that i mean i think instance. i think this is where they had all the folks on the design team working together and 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 kind of this is maybe a slightly revised first pass of what they they came up with which is why i mean yeah, if you look at some... tavern brawler yeah. tavern brawler has the shove ability and it's like it's the text is literally the same as the shove feature right for an unarmed strike except there's no size limitation. So based on these rules of Tavern Brawler, I can fucking shove whatever I want. <laughs> oh, that's very, very, that's good. That, that was a very poorly executed sentence on my part. I could shove a dragon because there, there are no size limitations on that text, right? And then of course you could wield furniture as weapons. Anybody could pick up a chair and, and hit somebody with it. For me, it would have been you get to add your proficiency bonus to using furniture as weapons. That, that's the more balanced way to do it, but I like how like homebrewy this is. Like you can wield furniture <laughs> as a weapon using the rules of the Great Club for small or medium furniture. But literally anybody can. That's the thing. I can I, pick I up a table yeah. and just ch- chuck it. Right. Um, I do like you know they have this enhanced unarmed strike, um, and that you know they get these damage rerolls. I would have just worked that into enhanced unarmed strike to be to be quite honest because. If you read them in isolation of one another, it it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I think I love the musicians. I think that's very yeah. Good. The musicians very good. I mean, I I think what I do like is the fact that it does sort of hint that they are getting a bit experimental with ripping these feats apart and kind of adding more to them and perhaps using parts of D anD D that are not very useful at the moment, like you know, like the various kits and tools and stuff like that. Like, let's see some more mechanical proficiencies for that and. I, I think once again, going back to what we talked about before, I like how not all of these just like you have advantage on your next attack, yeah. which is which is something well, like your that... your this stat increases yeah. by this. I like that these these yeah. feel like the the feats of third edition and three point five, and that's prerequisites too. I, I really like that because you have something to work towards. You can build a character. Like, are they going to bring back power attack? No, they won't. Um, Another thing that's like. It's, you know, it's not it's not offensive. It's well, it's offensive to my sensibilities, but okay. not not to the the world at large. But it is crafter because like D anD D fifth edition is so laissez faire with how you make anything <laughs> and how you buy anything. Yeah, like like every t- every time one of my players goes, "Hi, I want to buy a five by five foot box capable of holding blank," and I'm just like, ugh. Like, let me bath this. I don't know. Seven silver. Let me hold it. Seven silver. Hold on. I get twenty percent off. Oh shit! No, I have my crafting license. I have my coupon. Costco. Hold on. Let me. I have to cut out this coupon from the newspaper right at the table. The crafter is the like the dad with the t-shirt 
tucked into the shorts at the Home Depot. That's the crowd yeah. right there. Yeah, you're you just down. flash your, your AARP card. <laughs> I, I, I do think the entire crafting system in 5e could probably use a rehaul, which is a great thing to do for one yeah. D&D because the reduced crafting, uh, the required crafting time is reduced by 20% in the faster crafting part of the crafter. But I don't even know what the crafting thing crafting time is for items off the top of yeah. my head. Isn't it like ridiculously long? I never use it because I don't, I don't, like I don't it. use it. I don't use yeah. it. So yeah, well, yeah, it's like I, I, some... Oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I mean, like I'm currently writing an art, I like an artificer subclass and i'm just like i don't know how long it's going to take for me to make an infusion like kind of sort of maybe and it's like my infusions are all about like fiber art so i'm like i don't know how long it's going to take for my person to make a scarf so if you're if you're an art if you're a crafter and if you have crafter and you're an artificer you make scarves 20 percent faster you make it you're just like knitting just like knitting like a mad woman slightly more defined subsystems for things like crafting before we can start being like you get 20 percent off or this this makes you 20 percent faster yeah yeah i would have also Um, appreciated if they gave us second level feats we could see what kind of what their thought process is on the prerequisites because these are all first how do they scale up how do they scale up i want to i want to see that yeah discount (laughs) yeah i mean like well, no, because because the prerequisites in in it just levels it in, up. <laughs> so, I mean, there are prerequisites on other things. That when they had prerequisites across multiple things in D anD D, they had you had to be an elf, you had to have this, feet, mm-hmm. you had to have this much dex, and I, so I want to see what they're thinking about here. Probably, yeah, it, it'll probably be something like tavern, better tavern brawler, where now you can like <laughs> break up tavern brawling. Yeah, 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 prerequisite is tavern brawler, and now you get to I don't know, you get to. Uh, you can re-roll Throw your barrels. Damage. You can barrels re-roll your damage. Now. Yeah, you can re-roll oh your damage gosh, you dice. Rolls a one to five or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Your 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 your, your bludgeoning damage is now one d six plus your strength, and then it just has a little picture of Crawford just shrugging like I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't work here. We got a feat called Luckier. I'm also sad there isn't like a grapple section of Tavern Brawler. Because it's it yeah. just command grab everything. No, no, you would have different holds. Like you get the you get, Drew, you get the Imanari roll. Bowser side B. <laughs> I mean, yeah. now, now you're talking about a whole class, the Tavern we have Brawler. A template. We have a template for this, and it is Gaston. And I just yeah. feel like if yeah. it's easy enough. Yeah. But I so I think like feats are you could tell where they were trying to be the most creative here. And it's because they weren't thinking about trying to make this compatible with 5e. It's just like, hey, let's just try to make these things. And yeah, they miss at some points because they're like, well, we don't know anything about crafting. But there's some really good things here, like the healer, which makes you actually think about how many uses your healer's kit have left. You actually, I would buy a healer's kit so I could use that healer thing. Uh, There are feats that I would get multiple times. Magic initiate is really cool because you could have, you know, all these different kinds of spells, which is really a neat thing. Um, and there could be narrative reasons for it, right? Every time I maybe were, uh, I'm a bard and I've uh, gone and learned and spent time with different, you know, sort of spellcasters, I can get magic initiate every single time I have this sort of narrative milestone. It could be really neat. And then it would have a mechanical impact on my character. Um, yeah. That's why I love the musician. I think it's such a cute little, it's cute great. Little mini bard, just like a little taste of bard. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a little chocolate box, a like little it. chocolate selection. I like how they're doing more stuff with inspiration. I will say that, like how the how mm-hmm. the music can play an inspiring I have, song. I have thoughts on the inspiration, but but that's it. I, I'm just keeping track of time. Drew and Michelle, uh, do you folks have to bounce? Yes, I do have to leave. But thank you so much good. for having me. I oh, really, you're very welcome. Yeah, no, I really loved. Um, 
you know, looking at this a little bit more in depth with y'all. Thank you for allowing me to to yell at you. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> just yell at each other. <laughs> I'm sorry for sticking the Dickens stands on y'all. And uh, I mean, but I'm sure they're, 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 they're coming after fine. you too. Coming after me. I'm with my. <laughs> My Twitter's my Twitter's just gonna blow up with all these people. Absolutely, yeah. we'll we'll have you on. We'll the four of us could gather again for a part two where we'll go through each yep. of these sections and be like, okay, this is what I would change here, and we could go get really granular with it. Yeah, we'll we'll figure awesome. out when. I think episode right. sixty one, perhaps of Asians Represent. We'll try yeah. it out. All right. Well, thank you all so much. I'm gonna go. You can. I'm just gonna go join the Valor game. That's yeah. Just go stream. play. Shout out to Valor's go game. Play Valor. Just go play Valor. Shout out. Take care, Michelle. Shout out. Yeah. Okay. Right, bye, friends, Michelle. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. So we can keep going because this is the the cool thing about you know Riverside that we're using right now. So Michelle drops. We've got all this. Um, so that said, moving on. We've we've talked about how uh, you know the feats are you know. They're hit and miss. Some are really good. Some are kind of mess. Some feel incomplete. I want to talk about the rules. I want to talk about they've made a big shift here and they've said, okay, this is the D20 test. They're, they didn't mention DC. They've removed the, the, the use of DC. And they're like, hey, this is the target number, which I think is cool because a lot of people are like, what does DC stand for? I, I like this. Now, the one thing I really have an issue with here is... Um, is what it does to the GM. And I know there are folks who are, be like, who are going to be like, oh, well, Daniel doesn't even track HP. Why does this matter? <laughs> uh, this, yeah. this, I think, really matters for me because when they talk about rolling a one, they say if you roll a one on the D20, the D20 test automatically fails regardless of any modifiers oh, yeah, yeah, on the roll. Yeah. And I think this really sucks for higher level gameplay. For, yeah, for skill like tests. This. I'm not talking about combat. Like, it makes sense in combat. But... At a higher level, like say you're a level 20 character, you have mastered every aspect of your being. You you always have a 5% chance of failing at something, no matter how high your 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 bonus is, which is what I really hate. Um, I don't like this either, but I think it's telling that they included it because they said the only reason they did this automatic success on the 20, automatic failure on one is because so many people were doing that already. But so many people particularly with this edition of D&D, are not doing high-level play because 5th edition kind of falls apart after level 15. Or maybe I'd level say 10, maybe level apart after level 10. Level 10, yeah. So um, um, yeah. I don't think this is going to make it through the play test because this is getting a lot of flack, and I personally I, don't like it for the same reasons you pointed I out. also really hate the section on rolling a 20. I think there... I, I even wrote in my notes, and I'll share the PDF with all my annotations for our patrons. But I wrote, I fucking hate this. <laughs> um, I literally wrote, I fucking hate this, period. Um, because it means that any role has a has a 5% chance of succeeding. Now, yeah, everyone has a chance. But I think there are some, you're going to run into some issues here. Because if you're a GM and you want to, say, present. Okay, let's talk, let's talk about um, uh, our home game, Drew. Oh, right? yeah. Your character. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew's character in, in the story is is one of the sort of subplots is you're seeking this martial arts master in, in yep. my setting. And let's say you meet Master Chisin and she's like, show me what you've got. And I, I want and I want to have that, her out. Yeah, I want to have that fight, but I don't want you and I want you to roll and I want it to be a moment. And you yeah. fucking roll a 20 and you just kill this martial arts master. This yeah. encourages me to basically say, okay, if I want to present the party 
or a character with a seemingly impossible task that's meant to fail to drive the story forward, this rule prevents me from asking them to roll. Because if I don't tell you, Drew, the character to roll, you know that you're supposed to fail. Or if I tell you to roll, I know that there's a 5% chance that you can succeed and kind of fuck up what I've planned. Mm -hmm. Um, So having a high sort of hidden DC, or in this case, sort of target number, is no longer a reliable tool for the GM to ensure the players can fail. Now, if the GM says, okay, you don't have to roll for this, just tell me what you do, and I'll tell you what happens, that alone gives players meta-knowledge that they are either meant to fail or they could always succeed. So I, I really dislike this. It's it's one thing when, you know, it's, you know, a critical hit in a fight and you yeah. know that, let, let's say as a GM, you threw a character at the party that you know for a fact they cannot fight and defeat. Like, that's not what the, that character is meant for. That character is meant to be an ultra threat that they eventually level up to be able to fight successfully later on. Okay, that really I get happened that. in our game, though. Yeah, but but yeah, Mark, I, Mark sacrificed his character to make sure moment. that that thing couldn't come back. That was what a yeah, moment. What a moment. Shout out to uh, Mark. I think uh, like I would personally like to see something that like uh, that, that emulates the degrees of success that like Pathfinder Second Edition has really built its whole system around. I, like, like, I, don't, I, I don't know if they'll do that because once again, that is kind of Pathfinder's thing at the moment. But it's like if you roll uh, 10 or above over whatever the target number is, that's critical success. Uh, 10 below, that's critical failure. There are different degrees for what your spells do, for what your success mm-hmm. does. Like you might succeed on a roll, uh, but you might succeed with a consequence, which is kind of tying in with what like with power with, with what Powered by the Apocalypse games do really well. Yeah. Um, I, I that is kind of hidden in current fifth edition in the DMG as an optional thing, I think. Um, I, but once again, I don't know if they can really go with that because going with degrees of success changes the rules of the game on a fundamental level, which will make things less backwards compatible. So. It, it, it completely. And another thing here is, and this is another thing that I wrote um, that I actually find really concerning is that the fact that you can succeed if you if you have a 5% chance of succeeding any dice roll really bothers me in the case of organized play, sort of Adventurers League or conventions, because it literally enables the player who says, I seduce whatever. Yeah. It fully enables, because the GM can no longer, because the GM can no longer say, okay, roll, knowing that you're never going to succeed. That reinforces my point, right? Yeah. Uh, the GM will basically say, okay, well, in previous, you know, D&D is like, yeah, roll, and you know they're never going to succeed. So you'll always know, like, okay, well, they reject you, blah, blah, blah. You're an asshole, right? But now yeah. if the GM says, oh, you can't roll, well, then that gives some meta knowledge to the player. Or if the GM says, yeah, roll for it, and you roll a 20, like, that's going to make so many people uncomfortable at the table. I also think these rules really solidify the fact that D&D is, you know, st- like we talked about, Daniel, staying away from those high modifiers and those high numbers that get into like the 30s and above. Like if it's just a 20 is a success, we're solely dealing with uh, D20 tests of around like the 15 to 20 range pretty much. And you're not going to see that those high numbers, that high level play. Yeah. Like I don't think mm-hmm. that's been taken into account. And if D&D wants to become a game that, that, that completely disregards like the upper tiers of play, it just maxes out at level 10. That's an interesting decision in itself. 
but we won't get that if they're not calling. I mean, we saw what happened with the epic. We saw what happened with the epic level handbook. Did people use that? Yeah. Right. Um, I, I, and I, I see this in the chat. A lot of folks are saying, you know, roll less or, um, this is a GM situation where they say, Oh, you know what? It doesn't work. But remember, at the start of this stream or recording, mm-hmm. we basically said we're reacting to what this document presents. And so this, you know, this conversation right here is about the information that it's giving the player here. And it's saying, you know, if you get a 20, you automatically su- succeed. If you get a one, you automatically fail no matter what. And the next thing that kind of bothered me was the fact, and I don't know why, critical hits are only for PCs. NPCs like the GM can no longer crit, which I think, yeah, they seem. To I don't be, know why they seem to be pushing uh, with the logic that uh, at lower levels, because I mean, fifth edition suffers at, at like levels one and probably two as well, because like the monsters can crit and totally destroy a PC. Um, I, I think they're going with the idea of trying to prevent that by only having the players crit and the monsters. You know, they have their recharge. So, so, they have, so the monsters have recharge in. abilities, like like a breath weapon you can recharge on a five mm-hmm. and a six. So, but so they're really leaning into the power fantasy part. They're really leaning into the power fantasy part. And I think they're actually leaning into like, you know, what looks good on a stream, to be very honest with you, because that is that that is what D&D is in many ways now. And like when a player gets that big moment on a stream, I rolled a natural 20 critical hit, you know, like, you know. Yeah, but, but there's but here's the thing, though, if the GM rolls a critical hit, that doesn't that's just more drama for the stream can potentially kill a player though. And, you know, killing a player on stream. Well, here's the thing with, we don't have rules on character death, but Hey, like, here's the thing. Like if you're at a lower level, we can either communicate. This is a power fantasy and that you're going to, for the most part, be untouchable and free from like mortal danger. Or we could say, Hey, you're in danger at lower levels and you get more powerful. And sure. Like we've had critical hits, like for multiple editions of D and D, and yeah, they could certainly swing the flow of combat, but I see no reason why the GM can't crit, especially when the players now have a rule where they can succeed, like they have a guaranteed success on something. I think it's also hard to fully assess this without seeing monster stat blocks and how they might change. Absolutely. Because if they're Absolutely. giving like new recharge abilities to monsters where like, hey, they can they have different variations of multi-attack or they have maybe you know, crunchier stat blocks instead of just, oh, I bite and I attack twice with my dagger, which is a lot of 5e monsters. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I mean, it, it's hard to assess how this might play out in an actual game or a stream. Or I whatever. mean, there, there's another thing right here and it says, and then it's the same thing because they give you the average value for damage um, for a monster. And so this could be their justification, but they basically say if your weapon or unarmed strike has no damage dice, it deals no extra damage on a crit. That means that you can't crit on an unarmed strike unless you're a tavern brawl, you have a tavern brawler, or you're like a monk. Which, ah, makes, which, which makes no sense to me because literally last weekend, Drew and I watched Leon Edwards knock out Kamaru Usman <laughs> in the UFC with a head kick. With 50 seconds left in the fight. Yeah. And anything could happen. And the fact that a punch can't be a crit baffles me. It's, yeah. I, it, it, I, I understand. Okay, so with Monsters of the Multiverse, uh, take this with a grain of salt. But if I remember correctly, part of the philosophy was they were trying to up both damage values from various creatures as well as upping some of their tankiness, some of their health pools, 
um because you know they were running to the issue of like ah the the paladin smites and yeah. one shots the cr7 that's why you don't track hp validation <laughs> right there yeah, yeah yeah but like maybe it's supposed to go hand in hand with that change in design I, philosophy I think, I think like, it is yeah yeah but but yeah. Yeah. we'll we'll see when when uh like jeremy you said we haven't seen yeah. monsters yet the, the issue think, is like oh, sorry go ahead drew oh I was just going to say, I also think that some of the rolling a, a, a one and rolling a 20 also doesn't take into account things like, uh, OK, let's say let's say I have some really top secret information as a GM that I'm withholding and, you know, I'm making it a DC 28 and you roll a natural 20 with a plus seven, you get a 27. I mean, I'm going to give you something like, you know, so at least in my anecdote as myself as a GM and my experience with other GMs uh, where I'm the player, you know, some of the sliding scale of success and failure or those different demarcations, like yeah. with what Pathfinder does. Yep. Um, degrees of still success. kind of already exists in my brain. Yeah. Degrees of success. Just, I, I think a so, lot of people probably do that, Drew. Just stick it in the rules. And But I think it's, once again, it's a problem because it seems like they're prioritizing lower numbers in this edition. And I mean, D&D 5e Certainly are. D&D 5e already, you don't really see people rolling like 30s that, that often. Uh, so... I, well, they, they took out the ability for people to do something like that, right? Yeah, it, it would require for, for, a fundamental rework of a lot of the game mechanics, which is basically like absolutely. a new edition, and they're not calling it a new edition because, yeah, they want they want absolutely. Continuity. I mean, let's think about the the spell True Strike, right? And I keep going back to True Strike. Um, in you it know, sounds like you're saying Drew Strike, and Drew I'm like, strike, I have yeah, not struck Drew Strike. Drew's your Pokemon. Strike. strike for me, Drew. Strike, Drew. Uh, <laughs> so here's the thing, like. True Strike in previous editions of D&D and Pathfinder was like, you get plus 20 to your next attack. Right? Yeah, that's hot. And, and it's, it's dope. But now it's like, 5e, it's like, you get advantage. You get advantage. You no, get advantage. I, want, I want my plus 20, sir. I want my fucking plus 20. Because you're like, I'm going to hit that one shot where I have this spell. We got one shot. I'm going to give you plus 20. Like, that's a cool moment. You don't get that with advantage. I mean, I, I I realize that there is an elegance to the advantage system, and a lot of people liked it when it first came out. But there's nothing like getting a plus twenty and like, or, or getting some kind of super ridiculous modifier that like I rolled a forty-one, and then just everyone goes nuts. Uh, but but it's then again, awesome. but then again, maybe, maybe I'm just fond of that era of D I don't know. I think the three of us all all like yeah. that. Good like be. that. Now, the, the I next... don't like excessive math, but I do like big numbers. I, I like the end result of excessive math. <laughs> You just want the you want you want the the outcome, not the journey. <laughs> yeah. I, grew up, I grew up playing JRPGs where I had to max out my damage at nine 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 or whatever. So yeah, I like those big numbers. Oh yeah. Um, so so speaking of that sort of advantage disadvantage, another thing that they brought in here was inspiration. And now Jeremy, you said that you like inspiration. Um, I, or... I like I like how well. I'd like to hear your take on it because as it stands, I find inspiration is often forgotten in a lot of games. I've played Agreed. So that, that's what I, I, I that's what I've I dislike. Forgotten, I've forgotten it myself uh, at times. And I, and I wanted to see it integrated perhaps a little bit more. into. I game. haven't given the players in my home game inspiration in like 30 sessions. Yeah. Um, uh, in, in my game, as well as some of the games I play uh, in, in St. Louis where I live, uh, don't come visit me, anyone except for you two. You two can visit me, <laughs> and, and we'll say half the chat. Half the chat can visit me. Half the chat. Uh, it's up to you to figure out who that yeah, is. Everyone has to fight uh, Squid Games. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
yeah, I'm a pretty shitty prize, but you know, <laughs> uh, but in in my games, it's like ah, you you bring me snack, I bring you inspiration. There's never any in-game reason that I give anyone <laughs> inspiration. Yeah. It's purely bribery for real life things. Now I know from when I eventually meet you in person. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, you, yeah. I don't know if they want to like. Uh... Like, for example, in our Pathfinder game, I hand out hero points all the time. And, like, you got hero points are basically like Pathfinder 2nd Edition's version of inspiration. And you guys, you start the session with a hero point, and you can use it to, for any reroll. And sometimes when you die, you can use a hero point to stabilize yourself. So, do you think it would be better if, like, they had a rule where it's like you start the game with inspiration and. and you can, so, like, I have a, so, I have a thought here. So, there yeah. are optional rules for hero points in 5e. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's the points. thing, but people forget about them. So here's here's what I do with hero points. And I'll actually, you know what? I'll make this available for the Asians represent patrons because folks who uh, follow me on Patreon already have, ads, have had access to this for months. Um, so I have like a, a set of rules that I use for hero points, but I just make them cheap. Um, so what I hate about inspiration in 5e and this is that you can only have one at a time. I fucking hate that. It's like, oh, I could just have one inspiration. And you hold on to it. It's the same effect that Breath of the Wild had on players. When you knew that your weapons were going to break, you held off from using them because you were afraid of losing them. Same thing with inspiration. It's like, you don't know when you're going to get the next one. Maybe your GM is like Daniel and you just don't hand them out. Um, but you hold on to that, right? Having one at a time, I really dislike. Um, you get inspiration in this case for, for getting a 20 or for role play, which I think is cool that they've codified that. Um, in this with the, within the context of this rule yeah you get an instant success makes sense to me i dislike that you lose inspiration when you start a long rest it's like time time to nap everyone Ooh, I, didn't even, I didn't even see that it's literally right after it says losing inspiration if you still have inspiration when you start a long rest you lose oh. that inspiration which i i think is moronic in my mind i would have said you know what inspiration lasts the entire session mm-hmm. right or if you wanted to get like really granular, if you're going to let people have more than one for the scene. Uh, for me, what I would like is if you could hand out more of it and it could be used for more things. So for me, hero points or chi um, can be used for a couple of things. You could accumulate them and uh, so you could spend them to reroll the dam- spend one to reroll damage on a single attack. You can add damage to attack roll and they're in different things. So you could spend, in mine, you could spend four points to cheat death. So you prevent instant death uh, from massive damage. Uh, You could also spend three points to test your limits and receive an extra action uh, on your turn. I like this sort of stuff because I'm accumulating it and I'm going to, I'm encouraged to spend it because there are lots of things that I can use it for, Mm -hmm. right? Um, For instance, you could do something where you could spend it to gain hit points back, right? You can... Uh, my thing is you still have, I call it, you still have fight left and you could heal similar to a short rest by using chi for a, um, to roll a hit die. It consumes a hit die, obviously, but you can do that. Um, or you could do something like dig deep. If I spend one hero point or one chi point, I could regain the single use of a class feature that requires a short rest if it's two points or three points for a, a feature that requires a long rest to regenerate. I I want to have more options because if it's just like you get advantage and disadvantage and it goes away when you take a long rest i'm not going to care about it especially if i know i have a five percent chance of always succeeding on something yeah so the way inspiration is presented here there's nothing objectively wrong about it but i think it's boring 
And it really doesn't mesh well with how they are trying to frame success in this system. So for Mm -hmm. me, if you're going to do inspiration, honestly, ditch inspiration, call it hero points. You can get them if you get a 20 and you can get them if you do something cool. Maybe there's a limit. I I wouldn't. Uh, For my chi system, there is. But for this, maybe there's no limit, but you lose them at the end of a session. So people are encouraged to try to go for broke, get these things. And it actually adds to that power fantasy. How cool would it be where it's just like this dragon just breath weapons you? Like this actually, yeah. in, the, in our Pathfinder game, when I'm like, I'm going to save you, Drew. <laughs> and, <laughs> that was a good moment. Yeah. So, so was, yeah, you can tell it, Daniel. Yeah. Okay. So, so there, there is this moment where Drew's holding off these zombies and we're going to try to blow them up. And Drew's like, I'm going to sacrifice myself. And I'm this like creepy, unhinged puppet. So I'm like, I'm going to climb in on front of Drew's chest and hold him like a backpack on the front and absorb the blast. Yeah, it was Drew's character was pushing a bunch of zombies. They were in a house and zombies were invading the house and they were climbing down the chimney. Drew's character was going to force them up the chimney and like they were going to uh, one of the zombies we're was going to up. explode. So Drew was going to absorb the force of the explosion and just take all the damage as Drew does in every single but game. But Drew's character played. also didn't have a lot of health at that point. Yes. And so Daniel wanted does, to protect to his fair. friend and just climbed on him because he's a little poppet and looked up at Drew and was like, hey, buddy, I got you. And then, <laughs> explosion. And then, I just got fucked up. <laughs> Drew's next action was to save his little friend by picking him up and throwing him across the room. And Daniel went sailing still with his eyes closed. He still thought he was holding his buddy. He's like, I got you, man. Don't worry. And then, just, and then and, Drew, and Drew's down. Everyone got hero points after that, though. So it was great. Here's the thing, right? If if I had the ability to just, like, cheat instant death and take and, like, spend my hero points to do that, I could have absorbed the blast. And that narrative moment would have been really interesting. And it would have been informed by things mechanically and previous actions, right? Um, and it would reinforce role play and stuff like that. Um, so, so that's why I think the inspiration here is a really missed opportunity to do something a little different. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think everyone pretty quickly realized that um, the, that with fifth, okay, so with this D&D fifth edition, I feel like people pretty quickly realized that the very open-ended nature of so many of its rules, or just the complete lack of, with the disclaimer of, ah, you figure it out with your table. You work know, with yes, your DM. Its... <laughs> yeah, work with your DM. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes, does it have some advantages? Sure, you know, because then you get less of the rules lawyering of, like, the GM trying to make that call on the fly or create something cool and new, and then the player goes, well, what about page 53-A? You know, like, you get less of that. But at the same time, you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of GMs that have no idea what to rule or what to say to that. And I think at this point, that issue has been fully realized, and a lot of this is perhaps a response. This is speculation, but a lot of this is perhaps response to all those issues, so they're trying to nail some of this down. But I think they're hitting the wrong spots sometimes. Especially with these you know, really granular this. rules about a long rest, where it has yeah. to be at least six hours of sleep, and you can't do more than two hours of light activity. But, but also, we're going to add in a character. But you, you, if you're in, if you, if you walk for an hour during your long rest, you lose your long rest. Yeah, it's yeah. So. I mean, I, I think this kind of speaks to you know the, the bigger uh, the bigger process going on here, which is like 
D&D 5th edition, which is going to become one D&D. Um, but, but as it stands now, 5th edition is, is not particularly crunchy compared to other editions of the game and other systems out there. Um, but it wants to be kind of crunchy. It, it, it's like medium crunch. However, it also wants to be rules light, but it's not as rules light or as good as storytelling as like a Powered by the Apocalypse game or, you know, like Monster Heart, like, like something like that. And so it inhabits this in-between space where it's trying to do a lot of things and be everything for everyone. And, you know, that leads to the question, well, what does D&D, what does one do D&D well? What does it do well? Want to be? Because if you look at the, the current books, at the bottom of every book on the cover, it says, you know, the world's greatest role-playing game. And they're trying to trademark that. I think in the Spelljammer books, uh, I noticed there, there's like a TM sign there. They're trademarking that. But what is the world's greatest role-playing game? Because you could easily argue that if you want a tactical dungeon-delving monster experience, you could go elsewhere and get a better version of that. Uh, you could also argue if you want like a storytelling experience for your magical school adventure, you could go to plenty of other systems for that. What exactly is the world's greatest role-playing game? Um, first of all, that term doesn't really exist. There is no world's greatest. There is perhaps, you know, the world's it's the most, world's greatest for you and yeah, your friends. There is perhaps like the world's most accessible, but I don't think D&D is that either. I think it's just D&D is perhaps the, the world's most famous or the, the most widely known role-playing game. I and think it's the most accessible because of its notoriety. Because, because of its notoriety. Mm-hmm. And but because... What, D&D Beyond is is definitely one of the best character yeah. management tools. So where does D&D go from here? Like, how do they find a new definition for world's most role-playing game? Because a lot of these rules in here, they do feel like they're playing catch-up to the rest of the industry. Because um, 5th edition came out in 2014. That was a very different time. And like we've talked about with the race stuff, you know, there's a lot of the ancestry and culture DMs guild supplement. There's a lot of Pathfinder in there. There's a lot of D&D kind of trying to catch up with the discussions and the discourse on Twitter. This and- is what happens when you're unchallenged for so long, yeah. right? It's, it's let, let's use this as a great example because they don't sponsor us anymore. Roll20. Roll20 was like the big thing. But... If you look at Roll20's UI, it's really inaccessible. It's super clunky. And I would rather use anything else, right? Like I just, I I used, um, what's the, what's the one that starts with an F? Uh, Foundry. I used, I, I learned how to use Foundry for the first time. And that that system is great. Um, Albert Rodeo is super minimalistic and accessible. D&D Beyond is going to have its own VTT now. And honestly, I will say this. I think D&D Beyond's virtual experience is going to tell us a lot about what they want. Yeah, uh, that's that's interesting. That, that's interesting. Like if they want D&D to be the quote-unquote world's greatest role-playing game, then they have to be I guess we can take it to mean they want they want D&D to be a leader in this space, which already is perhaps financially, but certainly not in terms of, you know, mechanics, I think, or, or providing the most uh, you know, accessible or the most uh you know, the, the best experience for a new variety of its players. And I think, you know, seeing how the VTT works, you know, I have concerns about it. Yeah, I have concerns about it too. I mean, I don't think that's going to run on a lot of people's computers. Personally. Yeah, that's exactly, they're um, developing it in Unreal 5. Yeah. It's going to be, gr- again, it's going to be great for streaming. It looks exactly like, well, again, this is all content. We haven't actually seen gameplay, but it looks like they're trying to do Tailspire, Drew. Like, you know, you and I mm, spent yeah. a lot of time building in Tailspire. That shit's hard awesome. to build. It's yeah, fun. That's tough. It's tough, but it's hard to build, and you need a really good computer. Um, yeah. And you and will there's no need such a good... thing in it as whipping together a map real fast. 
No, but there will be such a thing as buying maps from the marketplace. Yeah, they they will probably just like Foundry maps you can buy. They'll probably include digital only versions of adventures where you can get the maps directly. You know, in this in their fancy new VTT setup. But that's interesting. Is that the direction that D and D wants to go to be? You know, the world's greatest role playing game. I don't know. Like, I think it's a worthy goal to try to to try to do to give us that that you know virtual experience. However, I don't necessarily think that that's going to be something everyone's going to use. You know yeah. what I want out of. But they will uh, want people to use it. You know what I want out of the D and D Beyond Virtual Tabletop. I want an E three shitty trailer <laughs> of Drift with people with with I want a completely <laughs> garbage trailer that yeah. is like like voice actors from the bargain bin <laughs> who <laughs> are just voice acting a script. That sounds like what gamers, or in this case, RPG players, oh, are supposed to sound like. This is what, like that old viral video where it's like, I cast magic missile. Or, I, I forget. No, it's it? yeah, yeah. Fear yeah. of girls. Yeah, fear of girls. Fear of girls. Yeah, I want. I want a voice actor to go. So, oh man, <laughs> I just critically struck that dragon. <laughs> oh my god, it's gonna be like when it's gonna be when the division came out when the division came out and they had voice actors doing like and it's so scripted. Well, they did that with the day before. Okay, here's my pitch for D and D Beyond VTT E3 2024 or whatever. <laughs> you have the stage set. Yeah. Who who over promises everything? Sean Murray comes out. I thought you were gonna say Todd Howard. <laughs> no, Sean Murray of No Man's Sky fame comes out. <laughs> Begins to overpromise things, and then we get the Halo Three commercial when it was all one diorama. Oh yeah, and it's yeah. going to be one single diorama of a D and D battle, and Sean Murray's talking about this is an unparalleled virtual experience. Bring the tabletop to your screens, and then we <laughs> cut in with virtual gameplay that looks exactly like that new Brandon Sanderson. Um, uh, involved game that was just uh, shown at Gamescom. And we're going to see gameplay. We're going to see people like, oh my god, and it's going to run flawlessly. But then when it goes to most people's computers, it's going to be glitchy. It's going to be slow. It's going to lag. Honestly, if you don't have hardware acceleration on, Foundry doesn't work well. Yeah, that's that's actually part of the reason why I still use Roll20 is because I run games for a lot of people with potato PCs. And like... Owlbear is... Roll20 anybody can well for them. So, yeah. yeah. I, I, I would use Owlbear more if it had more than just 5e stuff. Albert doesn't have anything. It's more geared towards five E a little bit, like the tokens and stuff are a little bit more five. I guess you could you could put hexes on it and yeah, stuff yeah, like I, that. I, 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 I get what you're could. saying. I definitely could. Yeah, I mean, um, Roll Twenty also is very five E oriented. Like like that that's all they prioritize. So I mean, it, I, I mean, I, I, well, I guess I mean, they have their own system. They, they, they well, have they Burn have, Bright. They have Burn Bright, but I haven't seen Burn Bright promo for like the last couple of years i don't know maybe i haven't been looking i mean burn bright was i mean and this is no shade to anybody it's it's a cool thing i've played it burn bright is is essentially you know the tabletop rpg version of a console exclusive mm. that's a, that's essentially what it was um and unfortunately there were things about the console that people didn't want to use that console no matter how good that game was well and when D comes out with their vtt that'll be the like the console exclusive thing for D in many ways exactly and well here's the thing you're you're you don't need a macro or some sort of mod to take your D beyond character any into foundry or whatever right it's there i know i'm gonna use it right um because hey we've got this vtt our characters are already here 
we've already been playing. I'm buying books. I'm buying all the digital content. It makes sense to play here. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's interesting. I'm excited to see how it'll turn out. That and who knows if it's if it'll be free. Maybe it's an, yeah, another. Paid I, I, thing. Don't, I don't think it's going to be free. It's going to be a paid thing, most definitely. But I, I think mm-hmm. it's a. Like, I am glad that D&D is doing that. Like, I think if they're going to call themselves the world's greatest role-playing game, they need to do stuff like offer physical and digital bundles. They need to do stuff like perhaps experiment around with the VTT, you know, environment. Hero Forge integration. Hero Forge integration. But they're probably going to increase – they're probably going to include their own thing. They're going to give you minis that you can customize and buy in packs. And that's – I doubt – They're already doing that with their physical minis. Like, D&D finally finally started making minis on sprues. Oh, so, yeah, that is a new thing. That Rish. is a new thing. The frameworks uh, line or whatever it's called. Yeah. So, like, I, I think the VTT, I think people are really sleeping on the fact that the VTT is going to tell us a lot about what they want D&D to be. Because the VTT is going to be shiny. It's going to be a visual experience for people who are streaming, right? It's going to be a, a, a novel thing for folks. Because but is it is it going to be able to cross that divide between, like, the crunchy side of D and D and the, and the rules light. Well, that's exactly it. It depends on how that system works. Because I I don't see a lot of like narrative DMs necessarily getting involved with the whole, you know, map making process or people running. Not at all. I don't, but I think because it'll be integrated into your character, your ranges will already be there the blast radius is, I think you'll have all of that. And honestly, the way from, you know, my like 10 ish hours playing tailspire, I would fucking play that in an instant if I had full maps and everything. Um, it also really depends on how easy the system is to use. Yeah. So, I mean, it, um, makes, because, me, it makes me wonder, are they going to be leaning more to the crunch? I don't know. Yeah. And I think, I think so. If you're going to, if again, if the experience is not a top down traditional VTT and it is indeed a 3d thing that you can move around like tabletop simulator or tailspire, I think it would lend itself to the crunch mm-hmm. though. I will say this. If you look at the history of wargaming, the v- the vast majority of you know wargaming's history was spent with rules light using minis, right? Um, if you look at, I mean, we should we could do a whole episode on this, um, but like initial a lot of narrative wargames around the time that Arneson and Gygax were kind of thinking about doing D anD D, the Bronstein were really narrative driven but involved terrain and involved minis with role play elements um so i think it's possible because there is again a rich tradition of doing that think about um you know the way some of warhammer is is working right now um they have narrative elements to it think about games like rangers of shadow deep uh which have deep narrative but also you know combat um i think that the VTT will certainly cater to those who want crunch. But yeah, based I mean, on I, what we've seen here, I think the one D&D playtest that we're looking at right now with you know how they want to measure range and bonuses and how crits work uh, and how feats work too, I think will certainly be suited to a really quick and simple VTT experience. And by quick and simple, I mean... You plop your characters in. The GM has to probably put in a lot of work to building a map. But once you're there, you're using that D&D character sheet to roll. And hey, if I pick a target, how cool would it be if I hit, I'm going to cast Fireball, and it actually does the Fireball for me. It'll be interesting so I to think, see if they can pull I, that and, and the thing is, like, there is going to be crunch, but I think a lot of people are forgetting that the fact that 
this VTT will be integrated into D&D Beyond, which does the crunch for you. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think it's mostly the conversation of crunch is not in how you actually how you how you're actually making your character and more of are you going into combat a lot? Are you measuring range? Um, are you tracking ammunition or how many uses you've you've taken out of your healer's kit? So I think we also need to consider how much of the crunch will be taken care of by this digital system. Yeah. I don't know. And how, I, and, I, and, how and how difficult it, it'll be to use homebrew, considering how tough it is to use homebrew on D&D Beyond right now. Oh, yeah, my, <laughs> that's oh my another God. thing. <laughs> that's another thing. I D&D literally, Beyond. I literally it, will like. It would be interesting if this VTT has two modes, not just an overhead battle map mode, but some sort of narrative, like visual novel type story mode experience as well. I don't know if that's possible. Have you that seen the VTT uh, more multiverse? One more multiverse. Yeah, one more multiverse. They're talking about that in the Twitch chat right now. I've seen it. Oh, yeah. I don't know how well it works, but I have. I have access to it. I'm having a. For me, I've just haven't. I've had a really hard time trying to make something there. It just, I, it doesn't feel intuitive to me, but I like the execution of it. I like the idea of it. I like that you can build these sort of easy to build environments that people can interact with. Um, but again, I think that also is really, for the most part, you're, you're limiting your players to specific environments when you do that. Um, because nothing will ever be as fast as drawing on a dry erase battle map. Yeah. And also, there, there, there's to get into the discussion of accessibility, like D and D. You know, if, if they take this heavy VTT approach, it slowly becomes more like a video game. And a lot of people don't want a video game when they play a role playing game. They want something else. They want like talking with people in a more social experience. So that, that's another discussion in general. Yeah, I think that's still going to be here for these things, uh, for for this, because this is this is by far not the crunchiest we've ever seen D and D, and by the standards of. If it's contemporaries, one D&D is not that crunchy. Um, it's far less crunchy. It's yeah, way it's, less it's, crunchy it's than Pathfinder 2. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not that crunchy. Yeah. I mean, I, I would like it to be more crunchy, honestly. Like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm more Me in favor too. Of honestly, the, but this, I, I just, this... I just, I just feel like a large segment of new D&D players don't want that. And it, I, I just, I'm very interested to see how WotC handles the, the differing perceptions of what D and D needs to be, you know, what people honestly like they haven't the actually made this one D and D thing crunchier. They've just moved the crunch and numbers around. Yeah, because I think that's all a, they've done. There's a limit here. to how much they can do with the backwards compatibility thing, and so that that's what I think is m- maybe going to hold this next iteration I of D and D back. I still think this backwards compatibility, whether it's you know for the smoke sake and of mirrors. it is, well, it is smoke and mirrors. It is, good, it is definitely. Smoke I don't mirrors. think. I don't think backwards compatibility is a good idea, whether we're talking about it from the perspective of uh, trying to address uh, various problematic content within D&D, you know, that gets mechanized or put in stone, or we're talking simply about like player proclivities with crunch and, you know, play styles and things like that. I just think getting, getting tied down to fifth edition and how that framework is, is a bad idea for the growth of the game. Even if that growth is not something that I end up enjoying. Like, well, it's something that you see and it, it's literally something that you see in video gotta games. Gotta let go. It's, it's let something go. you see in video games, right? Because yeah. when you see a game that's like, hey, we're going to make this backwards compatible or it's going to come out for the, you know, the, the, um, the, the PS4 and the PS5, you're going to yeah. sacrifice quality in trying to make it backwards compatible 
right? And there is obviously there's differences here, and this is in technological performance, um, mm-hmm. not the systems themselves. But the point I'm trying to make is, if they're like, oh, everything's backwards compatible, what's preventing people from just not getting one D and D products? And just continuing to play 5e well i think they're, yeah. they're going to have to eventually eventually they will be phased out it's only backwards compatible i think up to a certain point and then i think they're really they're slowly going to put those old players handbooks and everything else out of print and yeah if you oh, have for them, sure you can still keep on playing them just how like people keep on playing advanced dungeons and dragons like you can definitely keep on doing that but the new materials the new adventures they're going to be geared more towards this new rule set and they're probably going to be references in there that require you to buy like the new monster manual or the new uh, of course so then handbook. it's no longer truly backwards compatible it's yeah the only things that eventually be- it will iterate beyond what it can yeah. back compatible with that's not say, a word say, that's okay, not a way to well, say same that. with balance too same with balance too think same about how balance, feats will work yeah. think about so how feats will work you're yeah. going to change the game and i think the only things that will be semi-backwards compatible are maybe a couple adventures here and there like yeah sure probably in 2028 we'll still be able to run the version of curse of straw that came out in like 2016 or 2017 stat blocks will change though but stat blocks will change and i guarantee by that Mm -hmm. time there will probably be a curse of straw 10th edition geared towards one D &D that is going to that's going to have one straw that's going to have a new new cover a new cover and new things and probably new vtt maps and everybody's going to switch to that it's only backwards compatible maybe for perhaps the first year or two and then it's going to you know everybody everybody's going to replace their books like how they did when 3.5 came out I still have yeah. both of mine. <laughs> yeah. But if, you know, and even even if they don't, like, the difference between trying to have one D&D as a, like, you know, the whole conversation in video games about, like, games as a service or live service video games, games that come out, like, uh, let's take, I guess, Destiny 2 as, a, as an example, right, where it's constantly being iterated on, they're making new stuff for it, they come out with new seasons, things like that. But the issue is, the base material, which is Destiny 2, is changing with it, right? <coughs> it's constantly changing. So even if you if you buy Destiny 2, you're not worried about, oh, shit, I just bought Destiny version 1.3, yeah, and everyone's playing just, on 2.2. all of my money on DLC, but I can still play Destiny. Yeah, so, but that's not how it's going to work. That may be how it kind of works for people who play uh on dnd beyond if they really increase the service for that platform and really start turning out live updates with every little new thing that's something but if you bought the book what you know what what do you do then how do you fix those those issues of you have various players who picked up one book and other players who picked up another book. And I'll tell you what. And they're all it, it, reading different material. Adventure, if you play Adventures League, like they're going to immediately start like prioritizing the 1D&D stuff over like old... I, I guarantee you this is what's going to yeah. happen for your, your point, Drew. What I think is going to happen is we're going to see a dip in quality in the print material because they're not going to want to invest in that because they know they're going to change. They're going to release errata. Maybe they'll even release books that are like, hey, updated material, slot this in with your player's handbook, right? But I think yeah. they're going to really push for, like you said, that live service. They want people to use D&D Beyond. They wouldn't have acquired it yeah. if if that wasn't the case, right? They want people to buy into D&D Beyond. Maybe they'll do the whole Game Pass thing where it's like, hey, you get a season's pass and this is the roadmap and you get all of these things when they come out. You get these maps, you get... All, you get these dice. Oh, we're going to have phases right? like the MCU, one D&D phase. We're going to have the MCU, right? Phase the, too, right? <laughs> it's literally going to be it, right? Because... Yeah. 
They'll want the you to buy, game. They'll want you to buy that season pass. They'll want. Yeah. They'll turn it into like a subscription, right? So it, hey, you subscribe and you'll get all this stuff. Maybe there will be tiers. Uh, it's it's very interesting if you look at something like World of Warcraft, which came out in two thousand and four when D anD D fourth edition was around, and yeah. that was considered D anD D fourth edition's like competition. And D anD D fourth edition, a lot of people like it's an MMO stuff like that. Well, World of Warcraft is technically the same game, sort of, since uh, two thousand four. Just it's had a buttload of expansions, and now there's classic World of Warcraft. If we're gonna have one D anD D, well, one day we have classic landscape, classic one D anD D. I don't know, or classic D anD D, and it's just gonna be back to fifth edition rules where you just get advantage for every think just imagine <laughs> yeah i i think that i mean this is all speculation i think the big factor in this is going to be the fact that they are going to push hard on this digital platform yep uh, because in in all of their messaging you know the virtual tabletop is going to be a core component of one D, and so will you know D beyond what happens to all the folks who bought like I drew, I know you you bought like a whole bunch of that stuff, right? For D and D Beyond. Um, yeah. I, what happens I to all that stuff? Do you have to buy new stuff now? Um, Ooh, do people who already have the player's handbook qualify for the one D and D one? Do they get that update? Uh, what happens to this? Is this is? It's very. I think the closest analogy in video games would be, hey, what happened to the people who paid for the MMO and then it went free to play? Like. <laughs> What yeah. happens if you have that yeah. original content and, and now you need to buy this new stuff? And um, I understand from various perspectives, like this is similar to conversations that happen in any edition change. Well, what happened to the people who used to play fourth edition or third edition or 3.5? Fourth you know, edition but like, lives think, on in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, I think like I with any play, edition. I, I can see people do fourth edition in the new VTT. Yeah. With any edition change, you're going to have some of that, some of those elements in conversation but I think it's such a huge difference now with the fact that they're trying to, you know, shove as much as it can towards D&D Beyond and with the new VTT and all that kind of stuff. Like, that does change the game in many ways, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, again, I think our big concern here is that it's going to turn into a, a game as a service. It will have an impact mm -hmm. on print because you can't, you can't release DLC for print as easily. I mean, you can as like Unearth Arcana and you just put it out online. But once that book is out, it's out. Yeah. Um, it, but it with D&D &D Beyond, easier. Oh, sorry, go ahead. you update it. My uh, Another thing that obviously, again, all speculation is, how are they going to monetize this? Are, are you going to have things in your character sheet that say like, oh, upgrade to one D&D? &D? Are they going to like put microtransactions? It's not really going to be a microtransaction. If I start seeing advertisements, think, but they're going to put on ads on it. Beyond, they're guarantee you. They're already I guarantee you. They're already kind of are microtransactions on D&D. You can buy different buy dice, these dice. You can buy you can buy different bells and whistles. There are But they're like, going to put that in this now though. Well, you see interesting things like with the, the Vecna dossier that they put out when Stranger Things came out on D&D Beyond. You're going to see more and more exclusive content uh, and I think there'll probably be tiers to how this content is accessed in the future because I think, I think that, they that, might also just That's what oh, you do ahead, with the subscription service. I mean, that's Yeah, well, they, well they'll need a roadmap, right? They'll need, they'll roadmap, need to get yeah. people to want to pay. Like I don't I don't have Game Pass anymore because A there are too many games to play and B like I there's nothing that I want to play, right? So is it going to be, you know, you buy the license and then you have it or are you going to have to keep paying? Is it going to turn into like Steam where you just buy all these modules and you have all the maps and you launch them? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, probably not. Is there going to be like a workshop? Keep paying. 
it's gonna be like a workshop where you have like like Halo's Forge, like where you can make your own maps. Um, but then you have a base game. Who knows what it's gonna be? Um, I I am very interested to see what's gonna happen with D and D Beyond because I think the the new one D and the one D and D Beyond, whatever the fuck they're gonna call it, the one D and D Beyond is going to tell us a lot about the future of D&D and what they want. And I think as they're releasing material, obviously it's going to be important for us to read this stuff and critique it. But I think when they start showing us what the VTT will look like, that will be very telling of the consumer experience. Because we've talked a lot about the sort of gameplay experience and what where they're kind of leaning. But the consumer experience is going to be something that we'll have to talk about as they release more information about D&D Beyond. And I think it will be interesting to see if they manage to pull this off, the ripples that will happen in the industry. Um, Absolutely. Because I have no because, I, like, I, it's hard to imagine, but if they, if they, if we do have like a steam type situation, which I don't think will happen, but if we do have that, that will probably change the, the industry in general. It would. I will say, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no you go ahead. You go ahead. I, I so, so, you know, difficulties aside, I will say, it will be nice, you know, should this really truly like become a game as a service or a live service game. Uh, it will be nice to like have errata and various updates and fixes just drop straight into D and D Beyond. And I don't have to worry about anything, you know. Yeah, it's just it's that just be, it's like it's like nice. your Steam update. It guarantee you there's going to be a day one update, day one patch, um, <laughs> but day like one DLC. That, Day one DLC. There's going to be a patch. They're going to have to fix these. Like, oh, there was a mistake, and that's a cool thing that they can do. But again, it's all about how much is that going to cost the consumer. Is it going to be like Foundry for so only one person has to have the forge or whatever they want to call it, where you can make maps and then anyone else can participate in that campaign, or does everyone else have to have the map feature? That's another mm-hmm. question that I have. Um, I I think there there is just all speculation all questions but one thing that i want um because i know foundry does this um but i want to take it to the next level with D beyond is a i would love for them to have shortcuts because you know in foundry you can shortcut your your f- favorite like dice rolls like your your macros and stuff like that what i would love is if you had so you know one of the with level up gaming the the program i run for the autism community here one of the things the biggest challenges with D beyond is actually just the amount of information overload that you're presented with on your character sheet. There's all these different tabs and stuff. Here's what I think would be really neat for their VTT or in general, just for D&D Beyond. I've told this to D&D Beyond. I'm saying it on stream too. I would really love for there to be multiple modes on a character sheet. I want combat mode oh, where the God. GM could be like, hey, where this is my pitch. Hide your like, UI, hey. basically. Yeah. Exactly. We're in combat. It hides the the parts of the character sheet that are irrelevant to combat and it becomes a minimalistic character sheet. So it's just like, here's my attacks, this is my equipment, these are my spells. I would also love if the player could hide aspects of their UI that are unimportant to them or things that they find overwhelming. So for instance, if I don't have spells, I don't want to, like I could just hide spells or or any anything related to spells. Or if I don't want to see my background and all that stuff, my notes, hide that. I also want a journal, right? I want all of that. Um, but I want a customizable mm-hmm. UI for the character sheets. If they're going to make this big virtual experience, I want the equivalent of remapping my controls. Yeah. I mean, 
I at this point and then share my expert in all of it. I share my loadout. At this point, am you know am I an expert in all of it? No, but I I think I've said it before. I'm on D and D Beyond every day. I am on D and D Beyond every day, whether it's for prep for games or I'm playing the game or things like that. So I know where things are and I know how to get to them. But even for me, who is has thousands of hours in that thing at this point, I still have these moments in the middle of gameplay where I'm just like, uh, where is this thing? Not because I don't know where it is, but because there's a thousand options on the page to click on. Yep. You know, it's not that I don't know where it is. It's that my eyes get ADHD lost in the sauce. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Now, that said, we have gone way over time. Um, I want to <laughs> thank both of you for, and, and Michelle, who, who is not <laughs> currently, uh, who, who has left, but shout out to Michelle. I want to thank you know all three of you for, for joining me for this conversation because I honestly did not expect us to talk about games as a service. This is the most we've talked about video games on this podcast. And it was very relevant to the topic because I think we're sort of, dipping our toes into the same conversations that were had about fourth edition. Um, so I, again, thank you both of you for joining me for this and thank you to, you know, we have, you know, to shout out quite a few people or patrons for, um, you know, their ongoing support and it allows us to continue to produce agents represent, but also, you know, use new tools like Riverside, which is what we're using right now. One thing I actually want to try doing in the future is actually having, um, a patron only stream because one thing you can do with Riverside is you can actually have folks join in as audience members and they can watch live without a delay and they can also ask questions and actually like call in. You can give um, us inspiration. Yeah. Give us inspiration or just call in. Um, so that's something I want to try doing in the future and I'll do it with more low stakes content, like our monthly sort of bubble tea book club, where I want to transition it to talking more about homebrew worlds. Um, so I want to try doing that. Um, but we have a lot of folks to thank for that. Our guardians, Jeremy, you are one of them. First of all, thank you so much. You, you, I appreciate your support. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a lot of guardians. We have Brooke, Jeremy, we have Eyes and Daisy, we have Caroline, we have Kavi, we have Name X, Matt, Jay, who I was actually talking to today, um, Arjun, and uh, Wayan. And of course, our most honorable patrons, our newest most honorable patron, Stefan. Um, who is just on the podcast. Stefan is is such a cool dude. Um, I'm still like that episode on black exploitation films was just it was, it was a great episode. Great episode. It was it was great. And uh, there are a lot of a lot more topics I want to do and Stefan is is somebody who I want to to lean on for his expertise. But also shout out to, you know, Bob C, Michelle, um, you know, Dungeon Glitch slash Matt, y'all are the most honorable. Metal Weave Games valorous games as well shout out to valorous games i know they have a stream going on right now um so make sure you folks check that out um but that said thank you folks for joining us for this much longer stream uh jeremy drew michelle wherever you may be thank you for joining me i look forward to us diving into let's just do a whole episode on how we'd redo race basically we're just going to do their jobs for them how would we redo <laughs> race how would we redo feats how would we redo backgrounds uh how, what do you folks think? Do you, do you think that would be a, a good follow-up episodes? Oh, I think I we think got so. stuff to say. Yeah, I, I think, think we that, got. I, I think that would be fun. And I, I don't know when they're going to drop the next playtest package, but 
once they drop classes, then it's going to be, oof, it's going to be a fun. I just, we're going to do a monk episode. Um, (laughs) Yeah, monk episode. I'm trying to see if they finally fix Rangers again for like the fifth time, but (laughs) (laughs) Rangers can't get love. This is basically, it's not Asians read one D and D. It's Asians, write Asians fix one D and D. That said, folks, thank you for joining us. Thank you to my amazing guests. And I look forward to us doing another follow-up to this. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.